2: Welcome in to DNBR's At The Rink podcast, hosted by Megan Angley and Jesse Montano.
1: Nailing it. Nailed it.
2: That's all we needed. That's it. Yeah, that's the end of the pod. This is the (laughs) real first installment of the Five on Five Around The Rink style podcast, where we talk about a couple different topics around the league, but also specifically with the avalanche. And we just give some observation and analysis of things that we've seen up close at the rink in talking with players and coach and then just dive deeper into some other going ons in the league as well.
1: Yeah. We, so we, we've been talking about doing this pod actually going all the way back to last season. Cause there's so much stuff that we just talking to people around the rink, whether it be media from other cities, uh, you know, people that work with the teams or <laughs> uh, just being in the locker room. Now that we are back in the locker room talking to coach, there is so much stuff. There's so many, Uh, quotes, videos, audio clips that we get that we just because we have so much content coming out about all that stuff, some of it just kind of gets pushed by the wayside, but that doesn't mean that it's not really interesting stuff. Uh, So Megan, you and I, like, you know, we're spending a lot of time at the rink right now at practice, at morning skates, at games. Um, And so we said, hey, we're hearing a lot of this stuff, whether it be about the abs or otherwise, like you said, that let's let's make sure we're uh, putting some of this out there. So that's what this is. So we will have uh, the five-on-five the, the five written piece um, that we've done in the past will now be coming out on Sundays. Uh, it'll be called uh, Sundays at the Rink. It'll be uh, five observations from Megan, five from myself. Uh, it'll be accompanied by this podcast coming out on Mondays. Uh, that will be a diehard piece. So uh, for subscribers, it will be a nice bonus piece of content that expands a little bit on what we talk about on this show and maybe even some more things that we aren't able to get to on this show. Um, but yeah, no, so it's just, it's, it's going to be a fun, fun pod. And it's just more content It's just more stuff that I'm excited. Cause again, there's a lot of times where you and I will walk away like, wow, that was a great conversation. I wasn't expecting him to say that. I don't really have anything to do with it, but <laughs> now we have something to do with it.
2: Sometimes I get heavy handed with what I do transcribe and put out there and it still doesn't even touch everything of what we hear. Yeah. And I just want to make the access even better for people to see what we're hearing in the room. Yeah. Cause we just want to be as transparent as possible. It's a privilege to be in that room in the first place and get some of the great answers that we do. So any light that we can shed on some of these topics too is really helpful. And I think the very first topic is one that isn't necessarily shrouded in mystery, but has a lot of division in our understanding of what to make of it. And it's Martin Cowell. Yep. It's a player that has been on the brink trying to crack an NHL roster full time for several seasons now. And the opportunity just hasn't really come up until this season, where I think this has been the closest to a real good chance that he's had. Yep. And then he's devastated by the news of being placed on waivers. Yep. And I think this was unexpected from his perspective. And so just Looking at this team and its current construction, I think that's why people are confused by the decision for him to be placed on waivers because they are not fully healthy, though there are reinforcements on the way. And there have been some positives in what we've seen in him in the Mm -hmm. global series uh, to look into as well. And so we're just going to try to unpack some of this team's buy-in, the culture of this team, and try to understand why this might have happened in the first place. I know you've been talking to... Bednar in the media room for a while now so you have a pretty good pulse for that but even just Mm -hmm. talking to some players who embody the work ethic that has brought this team to a Stanley Cup it kind of shapes the conversation.
1: So it's it's really interesting and and we have a few few audio clips that we'll get to here in a second but I just want to talk about Martin Cattles and honestly (laughs) we have we have several topics for the show but one thing that we want to we want this to be able to do is like talk about stuff till we're done talking about it so we may not get to everything and honestly I have a feeling that Martin Kaut may dominate a lot of this conversation. Right. Again, not necessarily Martin Kaut the individual, but, and this maybe is going to sound a bit dramatic, but more kind of like what you're alluding to, what him as a player I think kind of represents and why he's having such a hard time cracking this lineup. And so <clears throat> all the audio that we have, Megan, you and I were kind of laughing right before because none of it is explicitly about Martin Kaut, but to me it's about a lot of the things that this team is part of the fabric of this team's identity. And I think they are things that Martin Kaut fails to live up to at time. And it's why he's in the situation that he's in going back to Martin Kaut's first training camp with the abs. He was coming off of, I don't even necessarily want to call it an injury, a heart condition that kept him out almost a full season, correct? Or maybe it was the full season, his draft. I think it
2: was close. If not the full.
1: Yeah. Close to, and but, he, you know, they all of his medicals checked out. He was good to go. It was something that they weren't concerned with inhibiting him later on. Uh, so, you know, everything seems to be all good. Well, he gets into camp, and the conditioning testing just is a disaster for him. But everyone was willing to write it off as he wasn't able to skate for a long time. He's just getting back into shape, cut the kid a break. He'll go play a year of pro hockey, and then he'll be good to go. Well, fast forward now five years to the beginning of this season, and Martin Cow. Was easily the most visibly tired at the end of the conditioning uh, testing. Technically didn't finish his last leg on the down and backs. Uh, left the ice surface early. And again, it was just one of those things where it was like, wow, that's just, that's just kind of a bad look. And when we talked to some of those young guys in the locker room, uh, you know, you and I talked to Sampo and there was a desperation in his voice. Like, I want to be here. I got a taste of it last year. And, you know, they've told me things I need to work on. And that's what I'm trying to get back to. And then we talked to Martin Martin Kaut. And what was it? It was a lot of, I just want to be in the NHL. I just want to be there. And, again, maybe this is me being overly dramatic. But, like, I just didn't feel the same, like, passionate desire from him that I did in a guy like Ranta. Do you, you, you were there. Did you get that same vibe, or am I reading way too far into that? It was
2: a tough interview. He felt emotionally raw, too. It yes. felt like we had just caught him in a bit of a vulnerable moment, and he was willing to speak with us, though. You know, there wasn't this pressure that he needed to talk to us as much as he did, but I don't know if he meant to convey desperation, but mm-hmm. that is how it felt. And I later talked with him after camp, after that, about what role specifically he would like to fill because I do think he can fill a role more specifically than I just want to be in the NHL. I, I pushed him a little bit on that, and that's when he revealed that he's inspired by LOC. That is a player that he would hope to embody, and that is a terrific player for him to embody when we get to some of the criticisms of Kaut through Mm -hmm. this point, it's going to come back to effort, right? And so, LOC is an energy-type player that is somebody that he should hope to embody, but it's difficult because we look at the role that's available to Kout, and it is looking like it'll probably, if there is another path back for him, going to be somewhere in the bottom six, and he has not succeeded with a shorter leash and a little bit limited ice time, and that is something that LOC has been able to overcome. So, in challenging him a little bit after that initial interview in camp, he was able to give a little more detail as to what he wants to be, but he does need to be kind of specific in the role that he needs to play because he's he's showing that to the organization right. too. And even someone like Ranta, you know, you bring up the differences and every player is different, so I don't want to dive too deep into the side-by-side comparison, right, but right. Ranta's attitude, even after being reassigned and reporting to Eagles is camp, my thing. Yeah. is he he knows his game there was so much confidence in who he is Sampo Renta, that is in his identity and that he's not looking to waver from that in any way and that he was not discouraged by yep. being reassigned and so the the differences in the attitude will become important as we begin to unpack this a little bit more. But something I want to earmark too is the initial faith that the organization showed in Martin Kaut, knowing of his heart condition, yeah. they worked with him. And I think that is the start of a positive in this relationship that has really changed over the course of time. Yeah. But it's an important positive to note that this relationship between Martin Kaut and the organization began on a positive note that showed a lot of faith in him.
1: Yeah, and so you mentioned Logan O'Connor. So this is the first clip that I actually want to play because I think it, you know, Martin Cout told you, I want to be a guy like Logan O'Connor. Jared Bednar has told us, we look for our young guys to be guys like Logan O'Connor. And it's it's the biggest part of Kaut's game that I think is missing. Um, so let's play that clip from O'Connor, and then we can kind of talk about where I think this doesn't apply to Martin Kaut. Some of the younger guys coming in saying, look at the effort that he brings every night. When things are you know, going well for you right now, things are going in, does that change your mindset? And how do you just kind of bring that effort every single day? How do you get yourself up to do that? I think uh, it's always sort of just been in my DNA to, you know, I'm not the most skilled player. That's pretty
0: consistently. And I think that's, you know, gotten me to this point in my career and I don't see myself stopping ever in my career because it's what's gotten me this far and I think a big thing is if
1: you don't have your A game you sort of have to bring your B game. Um, That's something that I've really tried to rely on in the pros is you can't resort to your D game and be invisible out there. you got to make yourself visible however you can. Small details, um, you know, walking shots, making hits, maybe just rough it up with guys. After the whistle or whatnot, if you don't have your A game, you have to bring something else besides that. So those are things I try to focus on, and um, using my speed is the biggest thing. And Try to be hard on pox, give D-men less time and space. So he, he talks about there, when you don't have your A game, you have to find a way to bring your B game, and whether that be... You know, banging bodies in the corner, using your speed to hunt pucks, going to the front of the net. And that's how Logan O'Connor found a way in college and now in the NHL on a Stanley Cup winning team to stick, undrafted. You know, this is a guy that, that found a way to carve out not just a respectable hockey career, but again, a, a key role on a Stanley Cup championship winner. So when I hear Martin Kout talk about, well, that's the kind of guy I want to be, that is, that's a lot of work. We joke you know, all the time that what do you have to do to be Logan O'Connor to get up to play every game like that? And it's, it's, a, it's a lot of work. And, and you go back to that playoff run. Jared Benner loved that line because they just outworked everybody. We've talked about it on some pods recently that that, that fourth line from last year, the reason it was such a big success for the Avs was because you know, they're not the most skilled, talented guys like Logan O'Connor says there. But they outwork everybody. And if Martin Kaut wants to fill that role, he has to figure out that part of his game. His number one knock has always been, it's it's too much fluctuation. It's way too up and down. You get a great night from him one night, and then he's a ghost for three in a row. Whether you think Logan O'Connor is a great player or not, the one thing you can never argue is his effort level. On every single night, even on nights, you know, early in this year, he had some bad games, no doubt. And he acknowledges that in that clip. You're going you're not always gonna have your best game. How do you find a way to be impactful? That's what guys like Logan O'Connor, Andrew Cogliano, uh, you know, go back a couple of years, Matt Calvert. That's what those guys have found a way to do. And if Martin Count is saying, I want to be able to fill that kind of role, he, he has a he's not even close. Like he has a long way to go before he's that level of effort every single night.
2: And it comes back to a player-specific identity, which Logan O'Connor has found. And we're really talking about Martin Kaut, but this applies to other young prospects, too. This has come up in the conversation surrounding Foodie. Cronin would say that LOC is a player he'd like Foodie to embody. They're obviously two very yep. different players, but it just comes back to that work ethic that LOC has that a lot of young players should seek to emulate. And... It's too why where Martin Kaut has begun to differentiate in this really began last season is as a PK specialist. Yep. He improved defensively and became a really important player on the Eagles penalty kill, but this is coming about kind of last season. And so this is still a relatively newer part of his game that he has really begun to improve upon. And I don't want to say that it's too little too late, but there's still more to fill beyond just that because that LLC has that skill in the bag too. Like right. you have to really begin to separate because Cout has a lot of skill upside, right? Offensively, you would hope that would translate to the NHL level a little more than we've seen so far. Yep. And I think it's one of those things where don't just take it from me. Like this isn't <laughs> even really me saying this, but I, I pulled up something that Cronin talked about at the beginning of this season on Martin Kaut. He said he knows exactly what he needs to do. It's a mystery why some games he's skating, he's flying around, finishing checks, blocking shots, killing penalties, and scoring goals. In other games, it's not the same visibility. He talked about how they both have characteristics, Motsev and Kaut, um, in terms of their compete level and pace. And with Motsev, pace has been a word that has been used to talk about him and his game critically, that you hear it enough that there begins to be some concern then why this isn't being applied consistently with a player like Martin Kaut.
1: So, actually, I'm just realizing I have another Jared Bednar clip that I wish I would have sent uh, over to Yahir. I'll post it with this pod when it comes out, where he talks about exactly what Cronin was saying there in direct reference to Martin Kaut, and he says he used O'Connor and Cogliano as examples. He said, those are two guys that they found their level in the NHL, and he said they fluctuate about this much. Good games, bad games, but they're always right here. And he said, Martin Cout is still way too much of this. His good games are really solid. You say, that's an NHL player. And then his bad games, like Greg Cronin's alluding to there, you're like, where is he? And you just can't have that. That's how razor thin the margin is. And then we, So I, we do have one Jared Bednar clip that I want to play here. This was uh, after the Boston Bruins game. They had just lost 4-1. to Wasn't a fun night for the Avs. Um, I thought a lot of the guys worked really hard, and that was kind of what I was asking Jared about: was Hey, you know, how much does it say about the team they were able to keep working like that? I'm not saying this is tied directly to Martin Cow, but I just found it odd, or I found it interesting, that we get this quote from Jared Bednar, we have this conversation with him, and then later that night or next morning, Martin Cout is waived and and reassigned to the Eagles. Given the opponent and all
0: the injuries,
1: it would have been you know easy for. To kind of just roll over a bit here, How, what can you say about just the fact that it seemed like everyone had their, had their life going tonight? Yeah, we're not going to do that. If, if we're rolling over because it's too difficult or we're losing games, and we need new players. We'll have to find other guys. We better be playing hard every single night regardless of what we think the outcome will be, regardless if we're winning or losing. I mean, that's the culture we built here. We're going to continue that regardless of... And if guys quit and don't
0: play hard, then we'll find other players.
1: So do, you, do you expect that kind of leadership from your leaders, the, the ones that are here, to, to set that yeah, example? Yeah, I do. Yeah. I mean, they've been doing it for how many years now? When it's healthy and when chips are down, and they've proven that they can be good leaders and good, and guys that work hard and, and, and set the right example. And I expect it to continue, and I, I'm pretty sure it will. So, again, that's not pointed at Martin Kaut, necessarily. He never says, you know, anybody by name. And really, I'm the one who prompted him on guys quitting. But, again, it's just kind of interesting that he sends that message and the next day they find a new player to replace Martin I I just, you have to wonder a bit, like, was that kind of a statement that, hey, there's no time for nights off. If you're taking the night off, see ya. You mentioned Jean-Luc Foody a minute ago, Megan. Again, do I think he's been like the best player on the rink? Do I think he's been in, you know, whatever? No. But I think that kid skated his ass off now for four games in a row and has put himself in great situations to score, uh, which what you were kind of alluding to a minute ago, one thing Jerry Bednar loves to say, put in the work first and you'll put yourself in position for your skill to take over. I think Martin Kauk comes up short on putting in the work first.
2: And this is probably premature, but someone like Ben Myers is a good comparison in this situation because he has had huge defensive errors that have cost the team in his second showing now back up with the abs, right? There are definitely some shortcomings that are kind of glaring at the moment, but the effort is there and it's there shift by shift. That is something that I would say was true of him at the American League level too. You'd like to see a little bit more offense there, but Other than that, I think that's why a player like Ben Myers is, I don't want to use the word rewarded, but is seeing more time and is staying up for right now. And I think what's difficult is it's not just... Cronin saying something and Bednar saying something even in our own observations. I remember last season when Cow, I think he played up six games with the Avs, he got hurt which is unfortunate. It disrupted his stint last year but then he never gets called back up and I noticed in some of his first games back to the American League once he got healthy back with the Eagles there were some effort-based lapses at the ends of shifts that could have been avoided if he had just applied 100% effort instead of 85 and they led to some costly mistakes the other way and I thought that in the position that he's in. Because, Rudo, when we were talking about this kind of as a group, he talked about at the American League level, not everybody's giving 100% every night. Right. And that's probably true. But if I've just been reassigned for my right. NHL team... I want to make such a statement at the American League level when I return that they have no choice but to call me back up. And it's very revealing that last season he doesn't get another call-up. And we've already seen a change in how this has been executed this season with a change of leadership in the front office. Like last year was the year of Sakura Magna Sherwood. And there was still some of that this year. We've seen a lot more opportunity, a lot more injury. So things are different in that regard. But it's still a little troubling that he didn't get another call-up again last year. And I think these effort-based mistakes are some of why we can point to that you pointed out I think in the Boston game was it the icing I
1: was actually trying to I was trying to find the tweet yeah
2: that's what reminded me of it those are the types of mistake that are effort they're not mental lapses
1: yep And, and and the tweet that Megan's referring to that I pointed out Martin Kaut iced a puck I mean two feet shy of the red line and I've seen that same mistake for Martin Kaut over and over and over again over the last couple seasons and to your point in a vacuum, you know whatever he took a str- you know he pulled up a stride short. Eh. But for a player in Martin Coutts position, where by his own acknowledgement, it's do or die. Every shift is do or die for him for his NHL career. And oh by the way, the one part in all of this we haven't mentioned: Martin Coutts has now cleared waivers twice this year. So for a lot of the people that think oh the abs are just you know the abs don't use him right the abs don't whatever. Right now, thirty-two teams all agree this is an AHL player, and and that to me, I think, has to be the part that is so difficult for Martin Kout to swallow. But that leads right to your point, Megan, of what does it take then to get this dude motivated? And, and again, like I, I, I'm, we don't, you know, we don't know Martin Kout. Maybe he is giving one hundred and fifty percent, and he's just, you know, it's just not there for him. But the fact that effort continues to be the criticism against him for five years. Look, if you're talking a year or two, you say young player, uh, maybe the organization doesn't seem right. Talking five years and the criticism against him day one is the same criticism against him today. The effort isn't anywhere near consistent enough and it manifests itself to what you're saying, effort-based mistakes at the ends of shifts that are easy for coaches to point at.
2: And I think that's where we agree that there's NHL caliber talent in Cal, and that is the upside that makes it hard for other people on the outside looking in to justify his reassignment. Right. Because that was, you know, in the games following that we see players like Cal Burke who I thought was fine, but he's very much green and raw and making it yeah. an NHL debut. Whereas you have a little bit more of a trusted. I don't. That's probably not the right. You have a bigger body of work to evaluate Martin Cal on sure. at that point. That it's quite a. Revealing decision. And so, pulling the focus away from count for just a second, too, because you talked about OC and Cagliano as two people yep. that have sort of been pointed to as the culture for work ethic in yep. this locker room. And we look at the beginning of the year, a lot of team meetings to set what the buy in was for this team because. Back in October, like there were definitely some hiccups, some struggles. Like This was still a team without Landeskog. They had not been hit with the number of injuries that they were hit For with, sure. but they were struggling. And they were having these closer door meetings and establishing the buy-in. And a lot of players were already familiar with it because they went on a long Stanley Cup playoff run last year. Yep. And now there's lots of new faces in the room. That's not just limited to Martin Cow, but there are other new players in that room. So I talked to Andrew Cogliano because, with the leadership group getting injured to the degree, right? he is one that is now wearing the A. And yep. he talked about when he was a new face in the lake, if he could go back and give himself any piece of advice, especially in the face of adversity, this is what it would be. And it all related to work ethic.
1: You know what, I think I, I think work is the best thing you can do. I heard it. The, the, um, you know the biggest thing you can bring to the table every night and energy. I think as a young guy, they should have energy. You know that's they're, they're young guys for a reason. They're in the league. This is fresh for them. So um, energy and work and, and work
0: ethic and competing should not have a, a an excuse. So um, I think if I could tell
2: myself when I was young, you know I think older guys respect guys that work hard. So if you bring bringing work every night, bringing a work work ethic, dedication in the game, and, and really you live with the results if guys are doing that. He talked about how if guys are doing this, if young players are doing this, you can live with the mistakes that get made. And I think that's just true from Bednar's perspective and what he's willing to tolerate, what he wants to reward in players, because I don't even want to overanalyze Alex Galchenyuk, but we look at the penalties that he took just before getting reassigned. And it, it almost feels like this would support that belief that there are some mistakes that from a coach's perspective are harder to forgive.
1: Let's go back a step further to Mikhail Maltev last year.
2: That was pretty immediate. The Tampa Bay game, right? Right.
1: Yeah. And and this is another guy who has effort based question marks. Makes a really bad mistake. A couple of mistakes in that game. He's gone. Doesn't get another call up. And I think that's, you know, hearing Andrew Cogliano talk about it and, and your you know just kind of your larger conversation with him. I think that's a totally fair kind of parallel to draw. Of uh, again using Jean Luc Foddy as the example. He has had far from three perfect games, four perfect games right. now in a row, but he's been he's worked hard. He, he's, he's made himself visible, so you're willing to live with the mistakes. So you're like, yeah, he's, he's working really hard to do the right thing. And, and again, th- now what I'm about to say here, going back to Martin Kow, this is purely speculation on my part, and I don't even want to get too carried away with it, but in the spirit of, what Andrew Cogliano was just saying, you know, some of the veteran guys will respect you more when you're putting in that work. And you can defer on this question, but does it not seem to you, not that people don't like Martin Cout, not that he's not welcomed in that room, but he just seems in my, the limited observations that we get, he does seem to be a little bit more distant from some of the other people. I don't know if that's language related or what, um, we have heard in the past of there potentially being some friction between him and some of the decision makers. I mean, I, I get it. He's not happy. He's hasn't made the NHL roster full-time yet. How much do you think that does it, or do you think any of that plays into it? Do you think any of these veteran players, let's say, like, we're all here, we're bought in to 150% every day, and here's this kid coming in, pissed that he's not on the team, but we don't feel like he's giving the same effort we do.
2: It's hard because looking at when he first entered the league, he was such a young player. He encountered cultural obstacles integrating with the American league team at that time. And thankfully, Pavel Francis was there with him for some of that to help the transition to become a lot easier. But I think socially, this was absolutely a challenge for him and it's a language barrier. It's cultural differences. Like, not even necessarily pointing to anything personal about him as a player. For sure. And that's that's challenging, and I want to be sympathetic of that because I think now that he's had a few years in that room in Loveland, I do think he's begun to lay you know, building blocks and, and develop friendships, relationships up there um, that he hasn't had the length of time to, to begin establishing here because I do think it is harder for him. Like I look mm-hmm. at someone like Ben Myers who I think has fell into friendship with some of the other guys who played college hockey. That was an easy... Yeah introduction for them to make and immediately relate to one another about. And so there's guys, I think, in the Avs room that Ben Myers, like he played with Sampo in college. It it was easy for him to integrate. By comparison, I do think Cout has maybe struggled in some ways. And it it might be just the absence of information, too. Like he he might be quieter and not building – rapport with some of the older guys in that room, not f- you know for any nefarious right, reasons. Right, right. It's just it's more it's challenging. It and is. so if all they know is what they see on ice, they can begin to draw conclusions that right. could be just creating more obstacles for him. Because right. we, we were talking about this before the show. He gets reassigned to Loveland. He scores a goal in his first game back, which is great. I'm not going to lie. This weekend series was not good for the Eagles. Uh, dropping two games at home against a struggling Henderson team who has had pretty fine goaltending like it's just a team that has struggled on the whole as a season dropping two games at home felt really bad for the Eagles I'm not pinning that on Martin Kaut but I do think it's interesting that he wore a letter in his return me too and this is a team that now doesn't have a captain right they've got uh, Ryan Wagner wearing a letter Brad Hunt was previously now that he's up with Mm -hmm. the Avs that sort of opened the door for Kaut to wear a letter in these games and I think that's at least a message from the Eagles side of things of his value there but it's just hard to say if he's begun to establish that value in the abs locker room yeah. presently
1: no for sure and, and again like the, we're talking about based off of what we've seen conversations we've had there's so much that kind of is unknown on that aspect of it but you know you you feel for martin count the individual that's got to be tough but at the same time you know i actually thought and this is kind of i guess my kind of final thought here on on cow i know we can we can move on here right um but i thought rudo's when we were talking about it on the watch long before this, his defense of that in the AHL, I thought really kind of proved the point when he said, yeah, but a lot of players in the AHL kind of take the night off. And it's like, right. (laughs) And that's why they're in the American league and not the national league. Not that they're bad hockey players. They're not skilled, but, and again, ask Logan O'Connor. He understands this. This is someone who understands this. My effort keeps me here. My legs keep me here. There are more skilled players than Logan O'Connor in the AHL, but they don't have the work ethic that he does. And the one part, this is my last thought on Count, I know I just said that. The one part that you have to worry about if you're Martin cow it may not just be that you're not fit for this avalanche team. The league is trying to emulate the way this avalanche team plays. Fast and smart making good plays but you're doing it with pace if he cannot play with pace there may not be a spot for him in the NHL
2: it's really hard like I don't know what the path forward looks like it was questions that I wanted to ask him and Cronin because we know Bednar talked to us and he said he has his messaging and he gave a little bit of a glimpse as to what that messaging is and I think this is what we're piecing together we believe that messaging to be but I would like to hear in Martin Kaut's words what the path forward looks like um And honestly, just where his mindset is at, I hope he has a really good support system behind him and in his corner right now. This is not the conventional path to the NHL that I think back when we talked about good faith organization, this relationship began so positive. A lot has changed, and I just... I would be very curious to know how he feels he needs to move forward from Mm -hmm. here, too. Uh, Just a lot of obstacles ahead of him. And I, for what it's worth, was not able to talk to Cronin or Kout this weekend. So hopefully in this upcoming week that's something I can get more information on. But it does. he has a lot of challenges ahead of him. For sure. Yep. Let's see. What did we have next on the docket?
1: I was going to say I think Kale, yeah?
2: Kale, yes. (laughs) Shesterkin. So, we don't have to spend
1: a ton of time on this one. This was just one that uh, so I've actually got his full availability cued cause he, he talked about some more interesting stuff outside of just the Igor Shosturkin thing, but I posted the portion of the interview you're about to hear, uh, where he talks about the glove saves that Igor Shosturkin made on him in over- overtime a few nights ago, big windmill there, definitely a little bit of extra fluff on it from Shosturkin. And I posted it and Rangers fans did not care for it at all. So my mentions are actively still just going nuts. Um, and it was just kind of funny because Kael McCarr is, he, he's, he's very quiet. He can be to himself, but he is a fierce competitor. And it was just funny because you could tell that he did not care for that, that uh, Shesterkin did that. So that's kind of what this is about as a whole. Uh, but in the clip, he also does talk about the boost that it was for the team getting to Chushkin back uh, and then a little bit of uh, overtime and the change of philosophy there for the abs. Uh, so we'll play that and we can talk a little bit about the Shusterkin thing because I thought it was fun to see some fire from Kale. How much of a boost is it boosts uh, it emotionally and kind of mentally to get Val
0: back in a game like that? it's yeah, too. He fills a really key role for us. So being, being able to put him up there and then uh, bump a couple guys down in terms of just chemistry wise, it really helped. So. Um, he was a huge uh, huge addition tonight and, and you saw it I feel like we felt like a more complete team so um, yeah everybody was working as a, as a collective whole tonight and it's unfortunate but I mean at the end of the day we gotta convert on the power play and that's it
1: Seems like there's been a philosophy change in overtime, a lot more possession from you guys has that been anything that's been talked about that's been changed or is it just trying something
0: new? Uh, yeah I mean overtime it's all about kind of reading the situation if you don't have anything you might as well just bring it take it out and kind of waste their legs a little bit so you have the puck and then when something's op- they're going to be more tired than you so when something opens up you just have to take that opportunity so um i mean for me i just walked over the slot and uh, made a good shot and i mean he's their goalie's all about the show so I went straight in his glove it just nice little windmill there so just kind of looked away.
2: I know you guys got Natchushkin back, but you also had a lot more chances today compared to, you know, two nights you know, ago. What, what else was different tonight?
0: Yeah, just in terms of uh, kind of the game-wise, like I said, I just think the, the completeness. Uh, um, overall, you have that, that line with Miko and Val, who, who are hard workers in the corner, can retrieve pucks. So I felt like we were getting a lot more opportunities up top at the end. Uh, um, when that happens, I feel like that opens up things for our team. And... Um, it's not just that, but those guys being able to drive their feet out of those corners and create, get that middle ice, sucks all their guys low, and then allows us to be open on top. So it, it opens so many things when uh, guys are working together. And I mean, it wasn't just their line tonight; it was every single line. I think that was that was why um, it felt like a better game. A little
1: spicy, the spicy from Kale. They say he's a competitor. Um, have you seen all the mentions?
2: yeah it's it just all my mentions i guess it feels misinterpreted because we know kale's character and that even this as spicy to me reads matter of fact it right. really doesn't even seem like that much negative value if any is as being assigned to a flashy save like this is a lot of goaltenders in general the the theatrics of the windmill save like right. this is something shesterkin has done before and We've seen Patrick Waugh do it. Like, there's no negative value assigned to that specifically. It's frustrating when you're the player and you get denied in right. overtime, but it doesn't have that much negative connotation attached to it to be upset that a player points it out.
1: <laughs> that was my thing. Was I just I thought that that some of the people that were upset about it about the fact that he said it. It's like it really wasn't that big a deal. Like Igor Shosturkin did that. Like that is a thing. that's just happened. observational. Like, yeah. And and like. If you're like, oh, Kale McCarr's sour. It's like, yeah, he just lost. Yeah, like, yes, he is. Like, he's pissed. I don't and, know, yeah. And, it, you know, to, to your point, like, goalies like to be flashy. They don't get to celebrate the same way that players do for, like, goals. So, they'll, they'll, they'll throw some stank on there. But, yeah, I just, I just thought it was that that comment really seemed to upset a lot of Ranger fans.
2: Right. Like, bummed for McCarr, but no issue with Shesterkin <laughs> making a save. Right. That's what he's supposed to do. That's his job. And I think... You'll have to tell me how you feel about this, but a lot of people feel that Kale McCarr faked the reaction to the high stick that <laughs> that wasn't called on Lafreniere. Yeah. And I really have watched it only from one angle and cannot find an alternative angle, and I genuinely just cannot tell because so whatever it's, happens, there's it's like the, shoulders it's here. It's the
1: corner angle right there, right? That, right, in, that's the, going in the boards. So what, what I think happened, because it happened right down in front of the press box, I, I don't even necessarily know if it was his stick. It could have been a butt end or an elbow. But I can tell you based on the way that Kale reacted, and then when he got to the bench, continued to, you know, talk to right. the trainer and stuff, he was not just trying to sell it to get a call. Was he maybe petitioning to the ref after it happened? How did you not call that or whatever? Sure. But something hit him. All of the people that were assuming he was trying to sell a high stick, it didn't have to like you can get hit in the face with an elbow pad, and that really hurts, yeah, or you know uh, whoever his glove that was, your butt end could have come out and caught kale on the backside like it wasn't necessarily he was trying to sell a high stick, but something hit him in
2: the face I think something genuinely hit him in the face i don't really know what you know if this was malicious, if this was yeah. just incidental contact, but he looked like he really got hit in the face yeah and, so I think people pointing to that as this parallel juxtaposition, like, well, he's the theatrical one. I was like, right. no, I think you really got hit. But well, it did remind <laughs> me of the Taves uh, actual, I think it was High Stick, on Makar, and they accused Lafreniere of doing it, but it was actually Taves in the, oh, yeah, pre- yeah, yeah. the previous Rangers game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, you know, it's just like checks and balances at this point. <laughs> a lot of people don't think it even happened in this game, but I, yeah. I do think he genuinely got hit in the face, and I don't think it was anything dirty, but yeah. it's just a weird critique. Well, and
1: then and then again, the, the Shistergan thing to me that I thought was funny was like, again, however you feel about it, like he did what McCarr said is accurate. Like it's factually accurate. He did that. Um, last thing on Makar, I just wanted your thoughts because it's something that you and I have talked about quite a bit. You asked Jared Bednar about it a couple weeks ago. Talked about the change of philosophy there in overtime. And I guess he neither him nor Bednar have actually embraced it as a change in philosophy, but more of just talking about how they're viewing it as a possession game. Uh and I don't know, for me, I it's not quite as fun to watch. But given their personnel, they seem to be a much more effective three-on-three team now.
2: Yeah, because what was more fun to watch was also what we saw defeat in a few seconds into overtime because it backfired, too. I think it was too high risk with high reward, sure. Mm -hmm. This feels like calculated risk that comes about in a slower, more patient way. They're just looking to be more dangerous deception. Mm -hmm. And it's cautious. And as a result, it does unfold more slowly. There's a lot of resetting that's happening in this version of overtime that it might not be as entertaining to watch, but I think the probability of success is so much higher and these players are so smart, and it's such a testament of how intelligent they are, too, that it really captures that in a nice way. That I like to see it executed this way. It may not be as entertaining, but I appreciate <laughs> the caution.
1: Right, and you know we, we are recording this uh, an hour after they just beat the St. Louis Blues <laughs> in overtime. Uh, but I thought that was a good game against the Rangers. Excuse me, a good overtime period against the Rangers. They end up dropping it in the shootout. It happens, you know, you get to a fifty fifty coin flip, but they really controlled the puck for the majority of that overtime. Uh, the overtime that you asked Jared Bednar about, you know, after the fact, I believe they won that game as well., yep, and it was they Dallas. went tonight, they've had some success, and like you said, yeah, that real high high event, real fun stuff to watch from the past did not always yield the results you wanted. So um, just interesting to to hear both him and Bednar now over the last couple of weeks acknowledge. It's not necessarily that we're changing anything. You know, Bednar even made the joke. We've been asking this of them for years, um, but it almost just seems like that switch, or, you know, it's, it's kind of clicked for them. Like, oh, huh. yeah, it's not quite as fun and it's not as flashy, but it's way more successful to do it this way and just interesting.
2: It's just the lifeblood of this team. It's, <laughs> it's always about hard work. <laughs> yeah, seriously.
1: I, I mean, really, that... that I, I think you just summed it up like hard work will be the title of this episode now because <laughs> that's really what it is that's what unfortunately you know you and I were talking about Martin Kaut it's a bleak outlook for him because really the only answer is work harder and, and that's a obviously a, a very blanket statement with a, a lot of layers to it for a guy like Martin Kaut but at the end of the day when that's really that's what it boils down to for him we need you to be more like Logan O'Connor and Until you're like that, it's going to be hard for you to stick in this lineup.
2: And, you know, the counterpoint before I get too carried away here is we have seen a lot of love for Anton Bleed, getting opportunities and called up because he's all hard work, Mm -hmm. that there is maybe less skill upside. And that's also not enough, though. There is a reason Bleed is back in the AHL as well. Doesn't mean we won't ever see him again. I think he's kind of an old faithful in Bednar's rotation is – as call-ups go, but yeah. I think there is a balance somewhere in between where Martin Kout does have a skill upside that yep. appeals to the way Bednar wants him to play. There's just it, there is a fine balance that has not been struck yet.
1: It's it's Jared Bednar t- had talked about it so much last year with guys like Andre Burakovsky, and it applies to kind of wrap all this together and we can move on. uh It applies to what we've talked about so far, both Martin Kout and now what we're seeing in overtime. Put in the work first and. You will find yourself in positions for your skill to take over. That's kind of what the abs have started to embrace now with this overtime. Take your time, put in the work, and wouldn't you know it, you'll find yourself, Miko Rantanen, on the doorstep, You know, standing in the blue paint with the puck on your stick. And, you know, that's, that's what we need to see out of Martin Kaut, taking it back to the beginning. Put in that work, and he will find himself in position to let that skill take over like you're talking about. Definitely. Uh. Last thing I think we've got for today, uh, we got the Broncos guys filing in here. We just want to give a quick update on Bowen Byram. Uh, Megan, I just kind of want your opinion on him in general, but Jared Bednar did tell us uh, the day before they left on the uh, road trip, uh, the, the four-game road trip that went about 10 days, he said, while we're gone, we're expecting Bowen Byram to be skating with Sean Laird, be on the ice. That did not happen. Bednar said it wasn't a setback, but Bo hasn't made his return to the ice. We've seen him around the facilities working out and stuff. Has this reached a – is it on your concern radar?
2: It's mixed. Like, I think the reason I don't want to have much concern is because that will strike panic in the hearts of people listening. And I don't Mm. think that it's anywhere close to that because looking at the timeline of when he told us Byram is expected to take back to the ice. I believe on November 26, he was last on the ice in a red note contact jersey. Mm-hmm. And that was right before they went on this trip. So that was in alignment with when he first said Byram would return to the ice. But then as far as I know, he didn't return again didn't after continue that. On the ice, and yet. so that does sort of look like it contradicts what he said about the timeline. But he's now saying most currently that this isn't any sort of setback. We're seeing him at the rink. I think, if anything, this conversation is to try to keep people away from the fear that it's anything related to upper body injury. I was going to
1: say, they, they, are, they have maintained through all this, it's lower body. Right. That's what they are continuing to maintain, which that's the good news. That's like only good news when you're talking about bone by arm.
2: Because people have this fear that the timelines were given for players to return have been very wrong this season, and some have been wrong, but some have been correct, too. Like, Gerard's timeline from return was perfect.
1: Erod is right in line so far.
2: So the setbacks with, like, kind of Nachushkin, definitely Darren Helm, are real, and I get why people have some distrust then in the information that they're given, but it's because... They've been right about other things, too, that I can't really point to one way or the other to, like, oh, we should be concerned. Like, we're seeing Byram, Byram at the rank. We're told it is absolutely lower body. I think all we can deal with is what we do know for right now.
1: Well, and also with Helm and Landeskog, while those timelines ended up being way wrong, they both required second, second surgeries. Surgery. So it's like, yeah, they, they expected the original timeline to go a certain way, uh, and it just didn't.
2: Yeah, I think that's the the easiest way to sum it up so that hopefully people don't get too carried away with fear but have an idea that isn't the worst possible conclusion. (laughs) Well, Um, I guess it's time to wrap it up. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us in our real first installment of DNVR's At The Rink. I'm Megan Angley. Jesse Montano. We'll catch you next Monday for our next installment.